continue to worship the Lord, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. This is where we'll spend our time for the next two weeks, finishing out this chapter. John 8 and beginning in verse 31. Verse 31 of John 8. We are approaching the halfway mark in the book of John. There's so much left to go, but all of it pointing us to that great truth of the book of John. It's noted for us in John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what we are to read this morning will remind us of this truth. Let's read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll discuss this together. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words, my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you wouldn't be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works of your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you're not of God. The Jews answered, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went away out of the temple. Father, as we turn to your word now, help us to understand it rightly that through it we might discern the truth, that we might understand your truth, in it that we might find freedom, and that in that we would understand that what Christ offers his people is a life rid of sin and filled with righteousness. Help us now as we enter into your word to allow it to take root in our hearts And if we are to say that it does take root in our hearts, that we not turn back to the cares of the world or the desires of the flesh or the passions that would seek to gratify us, but rather that as we give ourselves to Christ, we would do it with all of our heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we turn to John 8, 31, it's maybe no surprise to you that you understand this is connected to John 8, 30. You read here, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth. Who are these folks that have believed him? Well, he's talking about the folks that were in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed him. Many believed him. Jesus, after the sermon on, or after his words on the light of the world, after describing himself as the hope of nations, after describing himself as one who is totally united with in perfection to the Father, and after declaring to these peoples that he must be lifted up so that the world might see that he truly is who he says he is, many begin to believe the message. Many begin to say, you know what? This Jesus person might be right. Many begin to think this guy might be worth following. Jesus does something now that 
doesn't seem like what you would do if people finally begin to catch on and follow you. Jesus tells them, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth. What Jesus is doing here in John 8, 31 is he's going to now make it clear for us what it looks like to be a true disciple of Christ. What it looks like to be a true disciple of Christ. And that's an important conversation for us to have. Here's what I'm going to guess. I know many of you say you're Christian, and I praise God for that. Many, many of you say that you have faith in Jesus, and we love that, and we want to help cultivate that. I'm going to guess that many of you also know many people in your lives that also say they're Christian. But you're not so sure. There's people in your life that will claim the name of Christ, that will say they know Jesus in a saving way, but when when you go home after hanging out with them, or you go home after having been at school with them, or after having participated in sports with them, whatever it might be, after being with certain people who say they're Christian, you're asking yourself, are they really? For some of you, that question isn't about your friends. That question might actually be about you. You see that there's a a disconnect sometimes between what is said about how we think of Christ and what our life truly reflects about what we think of Christ. For some people, you can tell that there's this difference between uh, someone who says they love Jesus and everything their life says about them. There's a difference between saying that you know Jesus and your life reflecting a knowledge of Jesus, right? Maybe that's true of you. Maybe that's true of your friends. Maybe that's true of people in this very room that you know and love and have been around for a long time. And Jesus is seeking to answer that for us here. He wants to make it abundantly clear for us what a true disciple looks like. And a true Christian isn't someone who has a lot of words to say about Jesus. A true Christian is someone who truly follows Jesus. It isn't enough to say that you know Jesus and live a life that doesn't reflect it. It isn't enough to say that you know Jesus is the Savior of the world and that he is Lord of your life, but when someone looks at your life, something else is dominating it. How can you know that you're truly a believer? Jesus wants to make that clear for us in this passage. Now, we're going to take a couple of weeks on this, and it's because there's A lot to unpack, and I want to make sure that it's abundantly clear to all of you. The way that Jesus does this for us is that he shows you there's but two options. There's but two pathways. Really, in this passage, he says there are two fathers. There's two fathers. That's important because we need to understand as we approach Jesus And as we think about following Jesus, that there is really no middle ground. And we've talked about this before. Someone can't say that they're following Jesus and not truly follow him and yet somehow have some kind of assurance that they really do know him and they really do love him. 
You're either following Jesus with your life or you are not. Those are the two pathways. And Jesus makes it clear for these Jewish people here by declaring to them the pathway and the families of two different fathers. One is the father of truth. He is the father of heaven. He is the father of the son. He is a good father. The other is a father of lies. He's a father of deceit. He's a a father of hate. He's a father of cruelty. He is a bad father. And through these two fathers, Jesus wants to make it clear to you, you belong to one of them. Each of you understands the humanity of having a father. But what Jesus is making clear to us in this passage is that spiritually speaking, we all come from one place or another. Your father is either the the father of good and light and salvation, or your father is the father of darkness, wickedness, and death. There is no middle ground and there is no other way. You either believe God at his word and believe God by his gospel and you trust God for his saving grace or you believe the lies of Satan. You cave in to your flesh and in refusing a good father, you grant yourself an eternity with an evil one. Jesus wants this to be abundantly clear for us. This week, I want to talk to you about a good father. And what I want you to get from this is, uh, I want you to know how you can be sure you belong to him. For some of you in this room, let me be clear, this won't bring you any assurance because this isn't your father. For some of you, this won't help you have any confidence before God because you don't know God. You don't love God. You don't care about God. So you can't call God Father. What I'd want for you to see in this is that Jesus is allowing you to sit here and hear these words so that through the gospel of Jesus, that can change. That through the gospel of Jesus, what can happen in your life is that you can be born again. Your heart can be changed. You can be granted a new one. And in being born again, as Jesus talks about with Nicodemus, you can have a different father. God the Father. The Father of salvation. For some of you, you are believers. And you love Jesus. But life is hard. Temptation is always crouching at the door. Sins have a way of giving you the sense that if, if I'm truly a Christian, how can I still be seeing these things in my life? Or if God is my father, why would he put me through these moments? Why would he give me these trials? Why would he allow this to happen in my family? Why would he allow this to happen to my friend? Why all these things if I really belong to God? And for you, I think the words that we're going to see this morning 
will provide an assurance for you that you truly belong to Him. Not only because you've believed in Him, but because of who He is. So let's look at this together. And this morning in particular, I'd like for us to focus on how can you know that you belong to the Father of truth? If you've believed, how can you know that you believe? If you have faith, how can you know that it's real? Number one, you can know because you abide in his word. You abide in his word. So Jesus said to the Jews, verse 31 of chapter 8, he says to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, it's important for us to understand what this exactly means. So, what does it mean to abide? Uh, Abide is an interesting word, and uh, really, if we were to break it down to a simplest form, to abide means to remain, to stay. It is to set an anchor. Uh, When a ship is done sailing and it reaches shore, uh, if you know how the ocean works, it's not going to do any good to make it up to shore and just leave the boat there. If you do that, that boat won't be there the next morning. So when you land ashore and you're ready to to dock, what you do is you, you drop an anchor and you ensure in this way that this boat is immovable. It won't go anywhere. And it's something like abiding. It means that you remain, you're steadfast. You don't go anywhere else. And true disciples of Jesus are the kind of people that abide in something very particular. It's not just simply that they remain, it's that they remain in something. What is that? They abide in God's word. A true disciple is someone whose life is anchored in the word of God. A true disciple is someone whose life depends on the word of God. A true disciple is someone who believes the word of God, not once, but always. Someone who treasures the word of God, not for a first time, but for all time. A believer is someone who cannot be without God's word. They want to remain there. They want to know it. They want to cherish it. It is like it said for us in Psalm 119. You can turn there with me if you'd like. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. 
This is someone who seems like in every storm and every darkness of life, they know where to turn to. And it's not themselves. It's not even their friends. It's not their family. It's not a counselor. It's not a teacher. It's not anyone but God, and not simply God, but God through His Word. This is why he says, Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to the generations. You've established the earth, and it stands fast. How strong God's word is. How dependable God's word is. It's why dropping back even further, Psalm 119, 81, he writes, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Who is a true disciple of Jesus? One who abides in his word. You don't understand life. Then you go to his word. You don't get why things are going the way they are at school or in your relationships or with your friends or with your aspirations and your dreams and your hopes. Abide in God's word. God's word says that The flower withers and the grass fades, but his word endures forever. His his word has never failed. It has always accomplished everything that it desires. It is always true. It is always pure. It is always perfect. In a world of imperfection, do you trust the perfect word of God? In a world filled with chaos, do you trust the certainty of God's word? In a world lacking hope, do you hope in the word of God? Someone who is a disciple of Jesus haven't just received a message one time and believed in it. They receive that message and they desire to know more of it every day thereafter. Someone who professes to love Jesus chooses to know that word, desires that word time and time again. It's why in John 15, you can turn there with me, in verse 9, and we're going to get to this eventually anyway but here jesus says as the father has loved me so have i loved you abide in my love abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things i've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full how interesting is it We enjoy talking about the love of God. And as a disciple, we enjoy knowing that we're loved by God. Did you notice what Jesus says is the way to experience that love in its fullest? It is to abide in his love by keeping his commandments. How can you keep them if you don't know them? How can you do what God wants if you don't know what he says? How can you claim to know God if you haven't heard from Him? How can you claim to follow God if you don't know where He's going? The first 
and primary thing that Jesus says denotes your discipleship to him is that you abide in him. You remain in him. Your life is anchored in him. Friends, I don't know all of you all too well, and I definitely don't know your heart as well as you do and as God does. We talked about this a little bit through Proverbs chapter 1, but ultimately your life will betray where you're anchored. Your life will betray what you trust in. What you follow, we will know because we'll see where you abide. Some of you care deeply for your friends. And it's evident evident at times that you care more about your friends than you do abiding in Jesus. Some of you care deeply about where you're heading in life. And it'll show up because you will follow the passions in your heart more than you follow Jesus. Some of you care deeply about what people think of you. And it'll show up because you consistently do things that go against the word of God to gain man's approval. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then abide in him. Look at 2 Timothy with me, chapter 3, the words of Paul to a young man called to lead God's church. 2 Timothy three fourteen. These are words not just to a young Timothy, but I think to every young person in this room. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You're not ready for what God's doing in you if you're not abiding in His Word. You aren't being prepared to... Live out a life of righteousness if you don't know what God says about it. And you can't possibly be teachable and coachable and correctable if you haven't brought your life into submission to the perfect and holy word of God. True disciples love God's word and they abide in it. They remain in it. Here's another way of putting that to help you understand this. A true disciple isn't someone who just says they follow Jesus. It's someone who endures in following Jesus. You want to know that you're a Christian? Well, you were a Christian yesterday, and you are today. You desired Jesus yesterday, and you desire him again today. And you know that if you are to grow in relationship with him, You must give yourself to his word, a word able to mature you and grow you and develop you into being a righteous person that not because of yourself, that because of his grace. Abide. Desire Jesus 
always and abide in his word. A second thing that tells us of someone who truly follows Jesus, number one, you abide in God's word. Number two, you know the truth. Number two, you know the truth. And these two things are very related. These two things make sense with one another. Because you love God's word and you trust God's word, you know the truth. And it's very different to say that you know the truth and you actually believe the truth. Listen, I went to winter camp too, and it was a lot of fun. And at some point, I got wrapped up with a bunch of people that were doing the zip line. And anybody do the zip line? Anybody partake in these festivities? Okay, awesome. Good for you. So I was trying to explain to people that I don't do that kind of thing because I love my life. I have a wife. I have kids. Um, I'm broke, but, you know, maybe that'll change one day. So I enjoy life too much. Like, I would have, I, I want to keep enjoying In-N-Out burgers. And I feel like if I went up there and tried it, I might not make it back alive. And people just kept saying like, hey, you're, you know, you won't do it. You're a chicken. You're so short. And I was like, what's that have to do with anything? And, and so I, you know what? I did it though. I, I, I mustered the courage somehow, some way, maybe I think possibly because Delaney Palladian, who is a third of my side, like acted like it was nothing. And so I had to like be like, yeah, this is, I could do this. This is nothing, guys. And so sweating through all of my clothes, I, I did this thing. And, and I climbed up to the top. And listen, here's the deal. They got stuff that's strapped up on your, your waist and your, your thighs. And they've, they've got this harness that like connects to it. And then they just kick you off and you go. All right? So this is why I'm scared because I don't want to be in the air like that. Um, I trust them, I, I do, but it's one, thing, it's one thing to say that I trust them, it's another thing to show that I trust them by actually going up and letting them kick me off the top of this massive pole. Two very different things, right? I, I could say that I trust in all of this equipment. Yeah, 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 no, I believe, I totally believe that this is able to not kill me. I get all that. One thing to say all those things It's another thing entirely to actually do it, to commit yourself to it, isn't it? This is the difference between a false disciple and a true disciple. A false disciple says, yeah, no, I believe all these things about Jesus. I just don't live my life in a way in which I trust him. And what Jesus is showing us is the way that we can see that in your life is whether or not you live by the truth. How do we know that someone's trusted in Jesus? They bank their life on the truth. Every decision they make, every thought they think, every word they say, every time they relate to their friends, every act of service, Every, every time they, they speak to their parents, every time they do an assignment, whenever they're faced with a difficult question as they enter into that philosophy class, it's grounded in truth. 
They don't just know the truth, but they truly believe it. This is what Jesus is telling us. He's saying that if you're truly a disciple of Christ, if you're truly following him day in and day out, it puts you in touch with reality. And it's a reality that you live in. When I was in college, I, I got to take a, a class uh, called Justice. And one of the reasons I took this class was because I didn't know what other classes to take. And uh, this class, Professor Michael Evan Gold is a professor at Cornell, and he's also a, a lawyer for a long time. And I really looked up to him because he's one of the smartest men I've ever met. And so I, I decided to take this justice class. I didn't really understand what it would look like, but I want you to get a taste of what's coming for you in life. Um, this was just the class where basically here's the premise of it. We just kept asking ourselves, how do we know what's right and wrong? How do we know what's right and what's wrong? Friends, I felt like I was going crazy. I mean, I sat in a group of over 20 people at, you know, the prestigious Cornell University, some of the smartest people in the world, plus me, and we sat there and talked about what's right and wrong, and I felt like I was going crazy as I heard people's answers to this question. I mean, there's philosopher and philosopher and philosopher that has talked about this question for centuries. For some people, you know what? You know how you can tell what's right and wrong? Well, what happens? What's the, what's the end result? Like, if whatever happens at the end is the best possible outcome for you, that's what's right. And if it wasn't good for you, then that was wrong. That's crazy. I mean, Cain killed his brother with that kind of mindset. Other people quickly spoke up, and this is a popular opinion, not just back then. It's grown traction. It's the world you live in. There is no right and wrong. Nothing's right. Nothing's wrong. It doesn't matter. Moral relativism, that's the new thing. Whatever's good for you is good for you. And whatever's good for me is good for me. It's irrelevant what we think of truth. Your truth is good. My truth is good, and that's good enough. What's so different to us about what we believe in the gospel? Isn't it that we have truth? Isn't it that we don't have to ask that question? Where does good and evil come from? What do they look like? How can I know what's good and what's evil? We have the answers to this. Why? Because we have God. God has given us his truth. He's given us his word. He's made these things clear. And those who abide in his word know the truth. They don't have to go fishing for answers. They're not trying to make up what life might need to look like and what might be right, what might be wrong. We don't have to ask those questions. We have the word of God that gives us all truth. 2 John chapter 1. 2 John chapter 1, he writes to the elder, uh, the elder writing to the elect lady and her children, who I love in truth, not only I, but also who know the truth, 
because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. You notice what happens to people who believe in God? It's not just that you believe in the truth, it's that the truth resides in you. Reality is opened up to you. You see the world as it is. You see God as he is. You see yourself as you are. And you don't have to second guess because you know this is truth. That's why he goes on in 2 John verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If you want to say that you are a disciple of Christ, you can only say that not simply because you've believed in Him as your Savior, but because you recognize Him as your Lord. You know that Jesus came to die for sins, but you also know that Jesus came to give you life and the truth of his word sets that life in motion. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you love and live God's word? That tells us everything we need to know. If you're a disciple of Christ, you don't just claim Jesus. You live for him because you know the truth. One last thing here about those who belong to the Father of truth and the Father of the Son. You abide in His Word. You know the truth. And number three, you have been set free. You have been set free. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. You can see how the people around Jesus respond to that statement. They answer him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They were talking kind of like Americans, like, America, we're free. Nobody's ever stomping on this ground. You will not take our rights. Which is crazy for them. It's like they've forgotten their entire history. You haven't been slaves? What happened in Egypt? What about that nation named Persia? What about Babylon when you got kicked out of your country and were exiled for a long time? Also, isn't Rome in charge of all of this right now? You think you're free? Now, that could have been the point of conversation that Jesus decided to have. What does he do? That's not what he talks about. Jesus doesn't go into a history lesson. Notice what Jesus answers in verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What does Jesus point to? These people were 
thinking about current freedom and thinking about what was going on around them, but Jesus was talking about something going on in their hearts, wasn't he? Jesus wasn't thinking about the oppression of others. Jesus was thinking about the oppression of sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And this not just a word to the Jews then, this a word to you now. Friends, so many people claim to know Jesus and to follow Jesus, but sin dominates their life time after time after time. You can't claim Christ while sin is winning against you all the time. You keep opening up that screen and seeing the same thing over and over and over. And you show up in small group and call yourself a Christian. You keep dishonoring your parents like if it's nothing, like if it's natural to you. And you call yourself a Christian. You continue to cheat on your schoolwork and be dishonest about your time. You continue to speak to people in ways that you shouldn't and use language that you shouldn't. You continue to think guys of girls or girls of guys in ways that you shouldn't. You continue to explore things that you shouldn't. Disobeying God at every turn and telling God that you love him. Listen, I don't think I need to tell you. You tell me. How much sense does that make? I love God. I just hate living for him. I love God. I just hate doing what he says. I love God. He just annoys me. I love God. He's just such a burden. I love Jesus. It's just I want to do my own thing. I love Jesus. It's just I know a little bit better than he does. I love Jesus. It's just my friends are a little bit more important to me than that. I love Jesus. It's just I really really care about what I'm doing over here, and I'm going to keep doing that. And if Jesus helps me with that, that'd be awesome. If not, I'm fine. Amen. Friends, those two things can't go together. And here's what I'm not saying. Obviously, even a believer will still have struggles with sin. Even a believer will still fall short in many ways. You can read Romans chapter 7. One of the greatest men not named Jesus that the world's ever known, his name is Paul. And Romans 7 is written to you where Paul says, listen, as an apostle of Jesus, I do things I wish I wouldn't do. I, I do things I, I wish I could get rid of in my life. I don't understand how it is that I keep doing things I hate. What I do know is that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And I am grateful for this. And because of this, I will fight my sin. I will fight temptation. And in that, what Jesus promises is freedom from those things. Every person in this room is born a slave to sin. And no one can free you from that but Christ. Every single person in this room has been born with a desire to sin against God. And no one can help rid that of your life but Christ, he sets people free 
from sin. And when he sets you free, nothing can take that freedom away. Look with me at Romans chapter 8 as we close. Romans chapter 8. Those who believe in Jesus have their sins forgiven. Colossians talks about how those sins are nailed to a cross. The debt that you owe God is canceled. And it's upon that similar premise that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because you've been set free, nothing can put you in bondage again. No one can do that to you. No one can condemn you. Because I have set you free. Notice verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not in accordance with the flesh, but in accordance with the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is what those folks who Jesus is talking to could not understand. They did not understand that sin had enslaved them and they could do nothing about it. Sin dominated over them and there was nothing they could do to escape it. They have no idea what Jesus will have to undergo to free them from sin, but Jesus does it anyway. You too are a slave of sin. And there is nothing you can do to rid that of your life. But Jesus died on a cross to take away your sin and your shame. In this, he sets you free. He gives you life. And in this, those who believe in him can know with full confidence who their father is. John 8, the end, verse 37, 38, Jesus says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. In other words, Jesus is saying this, to hear all of this and dismiss it shows us who you belong to. If you take the words of Christ and you just throw them in a trash can, 
You take the words of Christ and you just let them run off your back like water off a duck's back, like you don't care about it. It's, it's nonsense to you. It's not important to you. It doesn't matter to you. We know everything about who you belong to. And it isn't God the Father. And our prayer is that you would turn to him to receive his grace and the freedom that If you have believed in Jesus, then the good news for you is this. No one can take this away from you. Because those who abide in his word and know his truth have been set free forever. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you that in it we find freedom for our souls. Thank you that because your word is truth, we recognize that all who believe in you can have confidence that they have been set free from sin. Sin no longer dominates them. Sin is now taken care of. And even when we see sin creep up in our lives, we know what to do with it. We can turn to God for forgiveness. We can kill those sins and get rid of them, do away with them. For freedom, Christ has truly set us free. So help us, God, to stand firm and not submit again to the slavery of sin. Instead, help us to live for you and to do so through an abiding in your word and a knowledge of the truth. Help us to fear the Lord in a way that doesn't simply, it's not simply something that we say with our mouths, it's, just, it's something that we live with our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.